This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. It's been forever, it feels like, uh, and I know we haven't haven't had a show together in a couple months, and I, I will take the blame on that. Um, I have just been very, very busy with other things and haven't had time to dedicate to the show, so I apologize. Uh, I can't promise it's going to get better anytime soon simply because I don't know what my schedule is going to look like, but it's been extremely busy. So the reason I'm recording now um, without Tony right now because I couldn't coordinate everything the way I wanted, I was on a recent trip uh, for work on an airplane, just sitting on the airplane because, you know, you, you, your mind starts to wander when you're uh, stuck at uh, 35,000 feet for a length of time. So as I was sitting there, I was just, I was reading some news that I had saved in my phone and I was just thinking about life and... Um, you know, I just really get kind of, it's easy to get depressed sometimes when you, when you look at the news or especially political news. Um, it just feels like every day there's somebody attacking somebody else or there's something happening that just makes you go, why is this, why is this happening? And, um, you know, Tucker Carlson just recently, uh, broadcast some of the January 6th video, uh, which, not surprisingly, it was very different than the video that the January 6th committee was putting out. Um, you know, and I, I, people were talking about this at, at my, at, at my uh, meeting. And I, I thought there, there's, there's one person's version of the truth. There's another person's version of the truth. And the actual truth probably lies somewhere in between. Um, to say that Tucker Carlson isn't a uh, Republican right wing partisan is to say that CNN is in the left wing liberal partisan. It, it, so it's, it's, it, they, they both sides want you to believe that what they're telling you is the absolute truth and there's nothing else but their truth. And I think it's falls somewhere in between. So I don't want to get into the January 6th. It was a riot. People should not have been where they were supposed to be, whether they're escorted by the Capitol police or not. They should not have been there. They knew they shouldn't been there. Uh, they didn't show up with weapons. At least nobody's shown any evidence there were weapons. So the whole overthrow the government part, maybe in their minds, they thought they would overthrow the government, but they didn't plan real well. They didn't actually bring anything to overthrow the government. So uh, icky all around by, by all parties involved. Uh, it, it, it's political fodder for both sides. And I, I just, I get tired of seeing it. The people who have been prosecuted, they were prosecuted. And whether you think those sentences are just or not, that's case by case. You can look at that and maybe there's something there, maybe there's something, but they shouldn't have been there. They knew they shouldn't have been there. There was nothing they were going to do to change the outcome of the 2020 election. Mike Pence was not going to do anything to change the outcome of the 2020 election. And it was foolish for anybody to believe otherwise. So let's say that Donald Trump, it's a stain on his record. It's a stain on, his presidency, and I'm certain that he'll do something just as stupid every other day next week because he just does dumb things like this. And, you know, was he a better alternative than Joe Biden? Let's talk about that. So Jill Biden was asked by a reporter 
Do you think, um, according to Nikki Haley, uh, political candidates over the age of 75 should have a mental fitness test um, to to just to make sure that they're competent to uh, be president? And she laughed. Jill Biden laughed. Sorry, Dr. Jill Biden. She laughed and thought, no, we've never had that discussion. And it got me thinking if you know President Biden had his physical where everything was done physically he's in great shape no mental capacity tests were taken and he's an 80 year old man so are his mental capacities diminished yes he's an 80 year old man is he does he always seem like he's with it no not really and that's being objective i mean i i don't like joe biden but i I think it's hard to say he's, there's not something missing there. Whether he is clinically, uh, has dementia or meets some criteria that somebody's looking for, I, I don't know. And I've not evaluated him and neither has anybody else, apparently. But I thought about this mental fitness should be important of every president. And I'll go back to Reagan. Reagan should have had a mental capacity uh, exam certainly in his second term, if not the end of his first term. And I think all historical records kind of point to the fact that now he died of Alzheimer's, I believe it was Alzheimer's or dementia of some sort. He was, he was not the same sharp Reagan in 1989 when he left office as he was in 1981 when he took office. And it was clear. And at that time he was the oldest president to ever serve. Joe Biden has kind of blown that out of the water. So, that's not really an, uh, even a question. But it, it, it should have happened then. And I, I harken back even further to one of Joe Biden's idols, FDR. Um, FDR was in sad shape uh, during the 1944 campaign. He, he should not have run. He should not have run. And nobody in their right mind should have pushed him to run. Uh, he was 61 years old and looked like he was 85 or 90. You know, he, he'd never... He hadn't been in great health since he had polio, and the fact that all of his physical ailments were hidden from the public, wink, wink, nod, nod, he's not really handicapped, even though we raised the level of the street so he could walk out of the car, and we had him going down the street uh, during an open parade in the 44 election, and we changed his clothes and, and put him right back out, and the reality was the man was in poor physical health prior to the 44 election. One wins the election because he he his competition wasn't up to the challenge of beating him. But let's be honest. The machine worked. He kept he kept his office, and he died a month after taking uh, the oath of office for the fourth time. But when he went to Yalta in February of 1945, he basically gave away Eastern Europe to the Soviets. He gave away East Germany. He gave away Poland, he gave away Czechoslovakia, he gave away Bulgaria, Yugoslavia, Romania, possibly Austria, could have gone that way. He gave it away. He, he, he was not mentally sharp. Churchill makes that comment after the fact. He was not mentally sharp. He should not have been making decisions that affected, let's be very clear, that affected our generation to this day because of decisions that FDR made at Yalta in 1945. That should not have happened. And yet, here we are, 
living with those repercussions because nobody wanted to say, no, Mr. President, you are not competent to stand in office. You are not competent to stand for another election. You should not be here. And he had high blood pressure and he died from strokes, but he had his focus and attention was gone. So it brings us back to Joe Biden. Are we stronger today because of Joe Biden or weaker today because of Joe Biden? Forget Trump. Trump's not the president. Okay. I don't care what Trump said he was going to do in Afghanistan. He didn't do it. Now he might have. And if that was the case, then you could have a different discussion. We gave away Afghanistan and all the material that we put there. That's a fact. Okay. You can spin it any way you want. The Biden White House has tried to spin it every way they can, but that happened. That I believe led directly to the Ukraine war with Russia because there was the United States was seen as weak and not willing to follow up. And what are they going to do? Well, we're a year later in the Ukraine war with no exit ramp, no off loading here. What's going on? How long are we going to go? Are we going to put boots on the ground? Is that really? Do you truly believe that the United States population, I don't care what flag pins they're wearing, I don't care what solidarity they claim, that they're really going to send their sons and daughters to die in Ukraine against a war with Russia? Because I don't believe that. I don't believe that that's the overwhelming majority of this population says that's, I'm willing to go there. No, no, they're, they're not. And any, any politician who says otherwise is lying to you because that's, there's no possible way. Most people couldn't find Ukraine on a map a year ago. Probably 30% probably still can't find it on a map. The reality is they have a tr- tortured history with Russia and that's not going to change. And this whole thing about democracy in Ukraine, it's a one-party system. Do they have elections? Yeah, but is it really an election when there's only one party? I mean, we 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 talk about the communist countries in, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever. They had one party too, and that's the only people that got votes. So they had they had voting too, but it wasn't really what you think it is. So that's that's one thing. Should there be a mental fitness test? Sure. You know, if you need to see a presidential candidate's uh, taxes for whatever reason, I, I'm not sure why giving those out publicly means anything, but okay. But we're not, and, and you have to take a physical. They want, they want to see if you're healthy enough to serve, but they don't do a mental exam. Okay. I, I think I wanted, I would think if Donald Trump was in power now, and you saw this when he was in charge. There were people diagnosing him through video. Okay. So this is no different. I don't think I can diagnose Joe Biden through video. I think there should be an unbiased evaluation by a group of individuals who understand what truly is happening and give an actual diagnosis of what's going on. He looks frail. He looks confused. He looks like he doesn't know where he's at most of the time and he is mushes his words together. He looks as though he's got dementia, but I don't know if he has dementia, but wouldn't it be nice as the American public to find out? Now, here's, the, here's what I think they fear, and Joe Biden is part of this. What do we find out he does have this? It, you know, it, it's denial until we actually figure out, oh, yeah, he does have dementia, and we've been lying to you all this time. That, that's one thing. 
The other thing is, and, and this is, this is germane to all politics. So I was in sales for decades and you would always go into a, a sales call and you knew you lost if you were on the defensive because you, you couldn't get any of your information out. You couldn't give your rationale for why your product, your service was superior or at least, um, you know, best for the situation at, at hand. So when you want to convince somebody that your product or service or item is better, you'll convince more people by showing why yours is the best. But not comparing and denigrating your competition leads to you, the, the reducing both to the least common denominator. Whereas if I tell you that a Ford is superior to a Chevy because Chevy's break down all the time and Chevy's uh, have transmission problems and Chevy's have paint issues and, and, you know, they get recalled constantly. Now, all that may be true, but you haven't convinced me why I should buy the Ford. You just convinced me why not to buy the Chevy. So now I'm going to go buy the Honda or the Toyota because you convinced me Chevy isn't the thing for me. I don't know if Ford is a thing for me, but you had the opportunity to tell me how wonderful it was and you didn't. Now, alternatively, you can't promise the moon and deliver the earth. You've got to actually back up what you're saying. But the point is you can't come across as negative Nelly on everybody else's stuff if you never talk about the positives of what you're pushing. And this happens a lot in politics. And you'll see it from both sides. I won't say that either side is... Uh, is immune to this problem. But I tend to see a little bit more with the Democrats where it's, it's a whataboutism. It's always, we're better than them because we didn't do this. You know, they're, they're, they'll constantly tell you how awful the Republicans are on any topic, but they never really tell you why their ideas or their plans are good. They tell you why the other part, the other group is bad. Well, why do I trust? And then it's a two-party system, effectively. So they feel as though if I tell you they're bad, I demonize them. So the example I'm thinking of right now is the is the budget uh, impasse or the government shutdown, whatever. And it happens regularly because we spend more money than we have. So we have to keep borrowing money to keep paying off obligations that we keep taking on as though that's just going to go on forever. And at some point the party will end and we'll have to pay off all that obligation. The point is Joe Biden says, I'm not willing to negotiate at all with the Republicans. Now he has to negotiate with the Republicans in the house because they don't have a majority. The Democrats don't have a majority, so they can't get things through the house. But saying I'm not willing to negotiate, they have to do what I want. Well, that would work if you had both houses of Congress, which you did until 2022, and you could, and you're the president of the Democratic Party. You can you can sign whatever you want. They did that for two years. So saying I'm not going to negotiate, and it's all the Republicans' fault that I'm not going to negotiate. Now, that plays well on the 10 second soundbite that you hear in the news or the headline from most of the mainstream media, but the reality is it takes two to tango. Both sides have to come out of this feeling as though they got it. They got something they can take back to their group. So 
if you've ever gone to buy a car and you sit down with the sales agent, most people feel that that's a, a horrible experience. I don't like this. It's horrible. I, I get upset. Uh, I get angry because, let's be honest, most people feel like they're being lied to most of the time. Let me go back to my manager and, and uh, see, if, see what we can do. I, I don't think he's going to go for it, but let me see what he can do. So you got good cop, bad cop. You know, then the manager comes in and says, well, I really can't do that. I just, it's just, we're not making anything on this. We're not, we're just, and I, I respond when that happens. <clears throat> if you're not making anything on it, then you won't sell it. It's really quite simple. So both sides in a, in a negotiation have to feel like they got a good enough deal. Okay. So if both sides don't feel like a good enough deal, they probably won't make a deal unless there's extenuating circumstances or outside circumstances that force them to make a deal they don't really want to make, either side. So let me, let me explain how money works because this is what this all comes down to. How does money work? Well, I have money, and I'm willing to trade my money, my hard-earned money, for your good service or product. Okay. You're willing to give up your good service and product for a certain amount of money. If your product is too expensive, either I can't, I don't have the money to pay for it, even if I wanted it, or I don't think the value is there, and that's a personal decision, do I think the value is there for your service? And if I do, I'm willing to give you my money because I value your service more. If you value your service more than what I'm willing to offer, then you won't give me the service. You'll say, no, I need more to do that service or provide that good or whatever it is. See, it's, it's very simple. It, you spend money on things that you value more than the money. Quite, quite easy. Now, if I think your service is worth X and you think it's worth Y, we have to come to a meeting if we're going to have any sort of, well, actually, X and Z, we come to Y to figure out, okay, this is where we're both willing to go. I came up, you came down, we met in the middle or somewhere. That's what a negotiation comes down to. If one part always feels like they're being taken, there's anger, resentment. It's not a, it's not a pleasant experience, but that's what politics turns out to be most of the time. It's one side has to win. So the other side has to lose zero sum game. If you win, that means I lost. And that's not necessarily true. It might be true in certain circumstances, but there's times when you lose and you lose. Both sides lose or both sides gain. You know, when, when a, the country is attacked, that's a loss for the country. Yes, you go into war and you may prevail in that war or that engagement but you already had a loss to start. It's not a win to go to war. Now, certain politicians would probably disagree with that, but I'm not a politician, so I don't care what they think. You win or you lose, but there is no in-between. There's no tie. You know, Korea wasn't a tie. It was a stalemate, but it wasn't a tie. Uh, Vietnam was a loss. All right? The Gulf War, mm, Gulf won, sort of a win in hindsight, maybe, uh, Gulf war two in Afghanistan. Yeah. Did we leave, did, did the U S leave those areas better than we found them? 
I, I don't know that I would agree with that. Certainly not in Afghanistan. It's, it's basically what it was in, in 2001. It just, there was a 21-year 20, interim. That's all the difference. So don't, don't be quick to pick up on the negative uh, press on any one group. There is a nuance in between, um, but I get tired of being told that the other person or other party is horrible, wants to eat your children, and wants to um, kill you. You know, th- those things may be true, depending on who we're talking about. If you're talking about a cannibal and, and uh, things like that, maybe that's true. But in, it, there's hyperbole all over the place um, with uh, news and shock jocks and, and talk radio and, and, you know, my cohorts in the, in the podcast world. Take it, take it down a notch. Just take a look at things and figure out, okay, that's not exactly what we think it is. And maybe we need to look at that a little bit closer. Okay. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is capitalism. So Bernie Sanders was interviewed by um, Bill Maher last week and tried to get him to explain the difference between equity and equality. And I, I was at a conference and equity was discussed a lot. Let's just say that it wasn't every, every meeting wasn't about equity, but equity came up a lot. And, and nobody asked the question, define equity for me. So I'll define it in my, my version of equity. So equity is the equity of outcomes, meaning everybody that takes a test should get a similar grade, okay? Now, think about that when you were in school or if you're in school now. You, you can't guarantee, unless you rig the system, you can't guarantee that everybody's going to get the same score on a test. You know, now, if there's a pass-fail, maybe, but you're still going to have people fail, the old traditional bell curve. There's going to be people in the middle. There's going to be people both ends. That's how life usually works. You can't guarantee outcomes. You can, you can work harder to give equal opportunity, meaning I give you all the same information. So if I'm sitting in class, I hand out the same papers to everybody. I say the same thing to every person in the class, and I give them the same test. So at the end of the day, they've had the same equal opportunity to score well on the test and everybody will not. Some people will remember better. Some people weren't paying attention. Some people just struggle with the style of the test or the, the makeup of, of the learning environment. They had other things happening in their life and they weren't, they weren't connected. All those things, but you can't control for all those things. You can only control what you can control. So you can give an equal footing but you cannot guarantee an outcome unless you bring the standards down so that everybody passes. Remember that pass-fail? Well, if passing is now 10% out of 100 and everybody in the class can get at least 10%, well, then I guess you've guaranteed an outcome. But what does that mean for us long-term? Well, all you've done is bring down to the lowest common denominator, that LCD. You, you've basically said, we're going to dumb down or we're going to reduce standards so that we all pass. Now, there's this old joke, um, what do you call a, a um, 
medical student who graduates last in his class? Well, the answer is doctor because he graduated from medical school. So he might be last in his class, he or she might be last in his class, but he's still a doctor just like the guy who graduated first. So there's not an equity gap. There's, there might be an equality gap. And I think that's changed over the last couple of decades, but there might be areas to work on. I'm not going to say that everybody gets the same opportunities, but I think we've, I've talked about this before with Tony. I don't think it's fair to tell your child you can be anything you want. Now, maybe you joke about it when you're a kid and you, when the child's a, a very young child, but the reality is I don't care how much somebody told me I could be a professional football player. I was never going to be a professional football player. One, I never played football. And two, I didn't have the size, the speed, or the strength to play football. I, it just wasn't, it wasn't a skill set I had. And there was no amount of training that was going to change that. So I played other sports, but football was not something I, I could throw the football okay, but I wasn't going to be a, I wasn't going to be a college quarterback, let alone a, a, a pro quarterback. I wasn't fast. I wasn't going to break through the line. I, I might have been able to tackle somebody if they were near me, but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have caught them if they'd have gone past me. So I didn't have I didn't have the physical gifts to be a professional football player. So if somebody said, "Hey, you could grow up to be a professional football player." Well, that would be a lie. So telling me I could be, yeah, you hear stories all the time. Well, they, nobody thought I could do this. They doubted me. Well, you had the innate abilities to begin with, or somebody gave you the opportunity to learn how to do that. But not everybody can do that. You know, I, I couldn't have played in the NBA. I'm, I'm not. I don't have the shot. I'm not tall enough. I don't. I can't jump that high. All the things that you need to do well in that sport, I don't have any of those things. So telling me I could be that is not true. The same thing holds for doctors, lawyers, nurses. Not everybody can do everything. And I think that's the wonderful thing about human beings. You need others around you. You cannot do everything yourself. It's not possible. You cannot be the best at everything. Okay, and, and people might tell you that they I'm the best at that. You're not. You might be the best in your small group of people because you've surrounded yourself with people who aren't real high achievers. But that doesn't make you the best. It just makes you the best of a small sample size. You, you hear this all the time. You know, they were the best kid to come out of this two thousand person town. Their best uh, athlete to ever come out of here. Yeah, it was two thousand people. The sample size is small. That doesn't mean they were a great athlete. It just means they were great for that sample size. I keep talking about athletics because it's, it's an easy translation, but you know, everybody who wants to be a doctor can't be a doctor. Everybody who wants to be an astronaut cannot be an astronaut. It's just not, you don't have the, the skill set or the opportunity at the right time for you unless you bring the standards down. The further you bring the standards, the more people you can get. We're seeing this some, uh, with some airlines right now who are trying to push the, the uh, equity bubble by reducing standards for pilots. Now, I don't care what your sexual orientation, I don't care what your, your, your gender identity is, I want you to fly the plane. And if you can't fly the plane, I don't care if you have those other 
capabilities. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care anything other than can you fly the plane safely and successfully. That's it. That's my expectation of a pilot, co-pilot, navigator, whoever else is up there. Can you do the job for which you've been hired at the level we expect of everybody else? And that, that doesn't mean you bring the lower level down. I expect somebody who's flying a jumbo jet to be very experienced, to understand how to deal with situations as they arise and be able to deal. I don't, you don't have to be Sully Sullenberger, but it wouldn't hurt. I don't want somebody to do a surgery on me who's never done that surgery before unless there is no other option I'm going to die otherwise. That's, that's the only time I want somebody who's never performed that surgery to perform that surgery. Now, I recognize you have to start somewhere. You have to start in hour one before you can get to expert status at 10,000 hours. But I don't want to be your hour one. Let somebody else be your hour one, okay? I'm not a big fan of that. I know somebody's got to get trained, but I want somebody watching them, standing over top of them, and teaching them as they go and stepping in as soon as there's a problem because they couldn't handle it or do you see how they handle it? I don't want life-threatening decisions made about me that I can't come back from. So the whole point of this is you can't bring everything down to reach equality or equity, sorry, not equality. And we hear this back to the Bill Maher and and, um, Bernie Sanders Bernie Sanders will tell you all the time, I'm a democratic socialist, whatever that means. It, you can't really define it clearly, but he seems to think it's less stuff on the shelves is, makes me a democratic socialist. And, and Winston Churchill has a quote about, you know, capitalism is the worst form of, or democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others, which are worse. Capitalism kind of falls in that same, same vein, okay? And there's some belief that capitalism in and of itself, kind of like bullets and guns, bullets and guns don't kill people. People pulling the trigger with a bullet in the chamber kills people. The gun itself is an inanimate object. It doesn't pull its own trigger. Okay. Capitalism in and of itself is a philosophy on how to function in society and build wealth. Okay. So capitalism necessarily means that some people will be rich while others are poor. Bell curve, remember the bell curve? Not everybody's going to be rich. Some people have the right amount of skill, luck, opportunity that makes them rich. Other people might have the same skill and opportunity, but they don't have the luck. They don't get that one little break that they need to be whatever. They didn't, they didn't get it on the ground floor of Google or Bitcoin or whatever it is. doesn't matter. So socialism says that all are equal. Not equality, equal. You're all equal pigs. Go back to Animal Farm. You're all equal pigs, except some pigs are more equal than others. But the difference is that in capitalism, you have the opportunity to be rich, but in socialism, you can only remain poor. Okay? Think about that. Some people will be rich, and some people will be poor on cap- with, under a capitalist system. That's just true. You're never going to have everybody be rich, because for everybody to be rich means somebody has to be less rich so that other people can be more rich, whatever that means, and what's rich mean. But socialism puts you all at the same level. But it's usually that, remember, lowest common denominator brings everybody down, except the people in power who are the unequal pigs, brings everybody down so that you don't have anything. Okay? Look at the, look at the Soviet Union 
of the 60s, 70s, 80s. The store shelves, there were lines for bread, but there was no bread to have. The store shelves, the door, stores were open, but there was nothing on the shelves to buy. So, yes, I had money because you made a job for me, but there's nothing to buy with the money because no goods are actually getting here because you made up work. You dumbed down the system so that nothing actually was created that you could then sell. There's no incentive in a socialist system, communist system for sure, there's no incentive to do more other than I will only work hard enough not to be taken away and shot. Okay. We, we, you hear this with the, um, the slavery in the United States uh, prior to the Civil War. Slave labor, it was free-ish because you still had to you know, uh, feed and clothe and, and maintain some semblance of health for your labor force, but you didn't have to pay them a wage. But the, slave, the slaves didn't necessarily work harder. They worked just enough. So you got a level of work, but you did not get an incentive-laden level of work. Now, not, not to say that slavery was good. It was a horrible institution, should never have existed, but it's existed since almost the beginning of time. This is just our stain in history. But you don't get the best out of somebody when there's no incentive for them to do more. Okay? There has to be an incentive. What do I get? The, the innate thrill of doing a job well done that doesn't last forever. So at what point... Am I willing to trade my labor for your money? And how much labor am I willing to trade for what amount of money are you willing to give me? You see this with the minimum wage discussions. You know, $15 an hour, $20 an hour, $22 an hour, whatever the number is. At some point, it will become cheaper for certain industries to use other means to create their product or manufacture their product. It was cheaper to use human beings, but at some point there will be a, come a time when the labor costs exceed the cost of the alternative way of doing things, whether it's a burger flipping robot or a robot creating a car, semi chips, assembling products. If they can automate it and it costs less and it doesn't take a day off, and it doesn't get sick, and it doesn't need vacation, then that product somehow now is cheaper to manufacture, or at least the same with less overhead costs for the employer. Great. You've gotten yourself out of the workforce. So capitalism means that some will be rich and some will be poor. Okay? The poor in the United States still have a better life. I'm not talking about the homeless, but the, the, the poor still have more money in their pockets than, than other countries. Unfortunately, things cost more in certain parts of this country than they do overseas. So that extra money doesn't necessarily bring you a better lifestyle. It just brings you a lifestyle. But the point of capitalism is the opportunity to improve yourself. The American dream is to the opportunity to improve your life and those of your children. That's all that's offered in the, in the United States of America. It's not to give you something. It's to give you the opportunity to get something for you and your family. But that seems lost on a lot of people. So I don't know where we messed up in our teaching, but um, it seems like we've, we've missed an opportunity 
to improve everything across the board for as many people as possible. And and maybe it is you you sacrifice now for your kids later because they're your kids. So they may have a better lifestyle than you do. That doesn't mean the capitalism failed. It just means you got to a point, your kids will get to another point because they had more opportunities because of the things you did. So that's three slightly different topics, but I think they kind of mesh together in that don't get too down on what you see in the media. It's easy. I, I see it myself sometimes. It's very easy to get depressed and down when you see all the bad coming out, but know that there's still, there's still good things out there and good people will continue to fight for those good things because there's an incentive for them to do so for them and their, their children and their families. So thank you for joining me. I appreciate your time. I hope to be back much sooner than the last time, but uh, stick with us and uh, hopefully we'll have some good shows coming up that you will uh, be very engaged in. So thanks for joining me. I'm Chad. Good night. Tree Production.